0: Let's go to God's Word. He's got a Word for us this morning. Last week we started into a series, a couple of weeks of, uh, of messages revolving around the idea of uh, remembering to be like Christ. I told you last week uh, that uh, the, the superstar I wanted to be like as a kid uh, growing up in the early uh, 80s and 90s was to be like Mike. I was told uh, probably since birth that that's what I should be like by all the commercials in my life. And I told you that I hung up my basketball shoes after uh, one failed attempt at being a basketball superstar as a junior higher. So uh, I didn't become a lot like Mike, but uh, our lives as followers of Christ, we understand from scripture, our pursuit is to live out the qualities of Jesus Christ, to be examples of him, to uh, emulate his life. And last week we looked at his private life and specifically how Jesus was intentional to take time to get away, to be with his father, to make time with his father. And as we entered into into last week on Wednesday uh, a season of Lent of remembering of, of withdrawing ourselves I hope you have made time for the Lord I hope you are making time every day to spend time with your Heavenly Father and know Him. Look again with me at the core scripture for uh, these weeks of this sermon series. 1 John chapter 2, verses 4-6 to six says this again, a reminder for you and me this morning. If someone claims, verse 4, if someone claims I know God but doesn't obey God's commands, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's Word truly show how completely they love Him. This is how we know we are living in Him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. How did Jesus live his life? Again, privately. Spent time with the Father. Made time to build his relationship, to be in relationship with his heavenly Father. This morning, let's look at the public side. If we looked last week at the private life of Jesus, let's look at the public life of Jesus. What he did, what he acted, how he lived his earthly life here on earth. Asking, what does like Christ do? look like as we live out our public lives. I wonder if we would ask, uh, what do people think Jesus was about? Maybe uh, while Jesus was on this earth and he was teaching and he was uh, raising this band of disciples to continue his ministry, if people would have asked each other what it is that Jesus does, I wonder how they would have answered in a quick answer of what is Jesus's life call? What is Jesus doing in his ministry? There's a, a fascinating look at Jesus's adolescent life from Luke's gospel, chapter 2, starting with the verse 41 that I want to look at that sets the tone for what Jesus's life, his public life, revolved around starting early in his life. Luke chapter 2, look there with me. It's going to be on the screen for you. And again, I invite you, if you're willing, to download the Bible app. You might already have it on your phone. You can follow along on the events tab and find Hyde Wesleyan Church every Sunday. Look at God's Word from Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was just 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. And after the celebration was over, they started home for Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Somebody say, "Uh uh-oh. Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, verse 45, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later... They finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. Verse 47, all who heard him, all who heard Jesus were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. Verse 49, Jesus' response. But why did you need to search? He asked didn't you know that i must be in my father's house but they didn't understand what he meant then he returned to nazareth with them and was obedient to them and his mother stored all these things in her heart and jesus grew in wisdom in stature in favor with god and all the people god's word When God inspired Luke to write these words, when God laid it upon Luke's heart to write this gospel, I think God knew the tendencies of adolescent boys like me raised in the church who would uh, possibly try to uh, warp Jesus' story here to give us permission to run away from our parents in an attempt to be like Jesus, right? And yet, in verse 51, we see that Jesus, even in his adolescence, was obedient to his parents. And that rules out me ever have been able to use this story as a way to run away to try to be like Jesus. But in this story of Jesus in his adolescence, his 12 years old, here in this account, we see Jesus responding to his parents' frantic searching with a a statement that sets into motion an understanding that Jesus knew what he was to be about even at this age. His response to his parents' frantically searching wherever it was in these moments, in these three days, that they had been looking for Jesus, for them to find him there in the temple, Jesus says, why are you so frantic? Don't you know, didn't you know that I must be in my Father's house? Other translations have uh, given us a, maybe a, a fuller picture or a better understanding that Jesus' response here in the original languages is really Him saying, don't you know that I had to be about my Father's business? And I think it's important for us to get this glimpse of the adolescent Jesus understanding. And I think what this does in a a church like ours is reminds us of how important it is in the impressionable hearts and minds of those just beyond the walls of this building right now, this room, that we believe here at Hyde Wesleyan Church that even these young lives can be impressed with an understanding of what their father's business is and how they play a role in his kingdom efforts. I love that we get this glimpse of 12-year-old Jesus being clearly aware of his life's purpose, to be in the temple courts, to be uh, interacting with uh, those who are teachers of the law. He's asking questions. He's uh, amazing others as questions are being asked to him. Jesus was about his father's business. So We can stop there and we can just say, okay, that's uh, that's what I'm supposed to do in my public life. I'm supposed to be about my father's business. But it looks like in this account here in Luke chapter 2, even Jesus' own earthly parents, Mary and Joseph in this moment, aren't quite aware of what exactly Jesus is expressing in that statement if Jesus is saying don't you know that I need to be about my father's business don't you understand that I would be here in my father's house doing what God has called me to do what is it what is it that God has called every single one of us to be about in his business we need to answer what's my father's business And to understand the complexity of uh, what it is, maybe I should say, the simplicity of what God wants to do, we need to continue to look at the life of Christ. A couple chapters later, Luke chapter 5, Jesus is calling his first disciples. Specifically here in verse 27, he's calling Matthew or Levi the tax collector. Look at Luke chapter 5, verse 27. It's beautiful. Later. As Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. And many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Why do you eat and drink with the likes of them? Jesus answered, not the disciples. Jesus answered, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come. Not to those who think they have it all together. Not to those who are righteous, but to those who know they are sinners and are in need. Those who are sinners and need repent. What's our Father's business? It's to heal the broken. It's to seek that which is lost. It's to reach the lost. Our Father is in the lost things being found business. Our Heavenly Father is is seeking to restore his kingdom into order. Our father is seeking to overthrow the, the ways of the world, the sinful nature. Jesus' words here is uh, it's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. I, I'm here. My earthly job, my job, my calling, my father's business is to not call the righteous, but rather sinners to repentance. It's the core of our job as followers of Christ. It's the must do. It's the thing we cannot lose sight of. It's important enough to be the measure of all the other things we are doing in our lives. It's what we are to start with. It's the the, the first thing God is about restoring, finding, fixing, healing. Not life as normal, not status quo, not just going through the motions. God's goal, God's business is in finding that which is lost. It's an important enough measure by which it is we are to do anything as a local church. i told you before that we along with every other church, every other local expression of the church united, we are all in danger. Every church on this earth is in danger every single day of resorting to a country club mentality that says something along the lines of, if I'm comfortable, if everyone looks like me, if everyone smells like me, if everyone thinks and does like I do, then everything's good. When in reality, Jesus didn't come to save those who were found. He came to find that which was lost and make it found and to continue to find lost things and make them found. And He left us to do the same. If God wants us to reach the lost, this must be at the core of everything else we do. Someone else said it before me. Found people found people you and me followers of christ jesus found people find people because we're about our father's business and yet in our humanness in our brokenness in the realities of our dna of our bent towards sinning because of the fall in the garden of eden we get over this call we forget that this is God's business, that this is what God is asking us as followers of Jesus Christ, those in relationship with God our Father. We, we, we let it go. We fall into the same mentality that, that happens when we get something new in our life. When we get a new car, we're very excited about that new car, right? When we get something new, a new job, a new house on Village Road, we're pretty excited About the newness of whatever it is that's new in our life. We get something for Christmas. We're pretty pumped to show everyone as a kid. Maybe we don't do this as adults, right? You guys are like, I don't do that so much. We know how exciting it is to have something new, right? And then we go to bed. Then we get the first scratches. Then we pay our first mortgage payment. (laughs) Then we find the first rodent hole. <laughs> then we remember we have to have oil. The newness wears off, right? On everything new in our life, everything physical that we own, every new vehicle becomes not new vehicle as soon as we pay that first payment, as soon as we are given those keys, whether it's new or gently used. It's not new very long. So too, because of our human bent, the the new expression of life that we understand when grace is bestowed upon us, when we are cleansed, whiter than snow. Oftentimes, life continues to pile upon us and we forget, we forget the joy, the expression of wanting to tell others, of sharing that newness that has cleansed us whiter than snow with anyone else, we begin to fall into the line of just following protocol, just going through the motions, just being Christian enough to not cause any ripples. To not make too big of a mess with our neighbors. To not be that guy. To not be too preachy. To not be too outlandish. To not go too far. To not offend too many people. To not stand out when in our understanding of what God has given us through grace requires us to not just go through the motions. If God is desiring to find lost things, if that's what God's business is, is finding that lost sheep, if Jesus' expression of His earthly ministry was going after that which was lost, not being a doctor to the healthy, we understand this illustration. Why have we? Why have we allowed ourselves to call it a day after we have experienced the healer? After we have experienced the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus, why have we allowed ourselves? Our Father wants us to reach the lost by our words and our actions. His business is reaching the lost and He invites us to join Him. So is that it? Do we just go to our neighbors and make sure they know with a a bumper sticker on our car that we go to Hyde Wesleyan Church? Do we uh, go to our neighbors and uh, tell them that we're having uh, whatever event it is at our church and hoping that the pastor preaches a message that uh, leads them to repentance? Do we uh, just uh, invite people to come be a part of uh, certain things in our church and we hope that that's uh, uh, enough? Are we just cleansed by the power of the blood of Jesus in a moment for ourselves and we tell one other person and then we go about our, our, our business... Not hardly. Mark's Gospel, chapter 3. Jesus is calling His disciples into apostleship. Look at this, chapter 3, verse 13 in Mark's Gospel. Afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain and called them, called out the ones he wanted to go with him in ministry, and they came to him in that moment. And then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. They were to accompany him, to go with him, and he would send them out from himself to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. This example, what Jesus does, is not just teach us about his Father's business to call out lost things found, to find lost things, but also to build upon the found ones. We we call it in church circles, discipleship of uh, growing. We call it sanctification of this progression. It's all throughout the New Testament. Uh, and all the teachings of the New Testament, we have this progression of faith that it's not just uh, coming to Jesus in a moment and having a, a cleansing power. Grace is much more than that. It is not just cleansing. It is renewing every day. It is something that we grow to experience continually in our walk with Christ. And yet because we're human beings, because we like the comforts of reverting back we find ourselves minimizing grace lessening it we put it to the side and we say we'll never experience what it is and the whole while God's saying I've got so much more for you Stephen I want to show you more of me I want you to experience more of me I want to renew you every day. I want to grow you into a disciple who makes more disciples nothing new in our humanness to continue to minimize this gift and uh, continue to minimize what it means to be a follower of christ and grow more and more we, we see jesus grew in wisdom and stature uh, paul in the new testament teaches the the, the church in corinth that he, he kind of chastises, he, he scolds them for uh, for wanting only to drink milk As almost like uh, this illustration of an infant only being able to drink milk, he says, "You guys need to stop just drinking milk and start start desiring the deeper things, the more the more meaty things in understanding your spirituality." Our heavenly Father wants to build us into the men and women He's asked us to be. It's God's desire that you and I would continue to grow in righteousness. Not plateauing, not reaching a point where we think, oh, I finally have it all together. If you are at that point where you think you have it all together, please schedule a meeting with me. God desires of you and of me to continually be growing in our faith each and every day to become more and more like the one we are to be like. His sanctifying power saves us and it perfects us. It is renewing. We, we have the language all through the New Testament of the, the, the ways in which we are being refined by His fire. We are beginning, uh, continuing to lose out on the things of this world and become more and more like Jesus. I hope you're hungry for that. Yeah, you remember there's a generation behind me, ahead of me, sorry, older than me. That's the way I should have said it. There's a generation older than me that uh, for a long time in my growing up were fearful of computers because computers were going to take over all their jobs and machines were going to take over all their jobs and do everything that they were able to do for their hourly wage would be done by a computer. Good thing that hasn't happened. <laughs> In some instances, it has, right? Remember the fear? Remember the the, the science fiction plots of movies that machines would become uh, able to learn and be be able to replicate themselves and one day take over the world? Somebody say, Terminator. (sighs) Now we live in 2020 where you can buy a 3D printer. Do you know what a 3D printer is? It's super, super fun. We have a cheap 3D printer at home. We make stupid stuff. You can buy a 3D printer now that you can actually print parts to make another 3D printer. How cool is that? Isn't that cool? The future's now. That illustration, that reminder, is a perfect example of what God wants to do through... His children, through those he calls his sons and daughters, he wants us to replicate our, ourselves. We use the language in church circles often that we are called to be disciples who make disciples, that we are to be so challenged and changed and made new that our, our response to that is to do the same, is to continue it on. And yet, everywhere in every church across the globe, there seems to be this saturation experience of, I've been changed, I've been made new, and I'm just going to keep quiet. If you and I, ex- if you and I have experienced a life change that comes from having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we, we need to replicate it. Isn't the good news of Jesus Christ good enough news? For your neighbor, for the person in your life that you think will never listen, who's beyond grace, can I remind you that someone at some time may have thought that about you and me? God's grace, God's grace can penetrate even the hardest of hearts this morning. I don't know who that is for you. I don't know, maybe that's you. God's business is about seeking that which is lost and building up that which is found. So let me ask, what are you about? Are you like Christ, who was about His Father's business? Who would your neighbors say you are like? Who would your family members say you are publicly? Who would your co-workers, your peers, your friends... Most of us, I think if we're honest, we find ourselves admitting that we're a lot about ourselves. We're we're a lot about emphasizing ourselves, our own comforts, our own uh, making sure that ours is safe and secure and sound and making sure that our family, our home is buttoned up and the best it can be. We put ourselves first so often and we fall into this same idea, the same mentality of our culture that says, me, 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 mine, mine, mine. We need the reminder again this morning, when we are in a relationship with the Lord, we are not any longer our own. Paul says to the Corinthians in a teaching, First 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he asks this, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Paul's teaching here specifically about sexual sin, even in the church. And he's saying, don't you know that you are not your own? You've been bought with a price by God. You have been given so much more. You're not your own person. You don't have to revert back to your human nature. You don't have to give in to the way the world around you is. You have been bought. God has purchased you. You are a son and a daughter Of the king. As such. As a child of the king. We've got work to do. Have I said that enough times? We've got work to do. We can't get over the work. We can't lose sight of the work. We can't minimize... work. We talk about it here at Hyde Wesleyan Church as being the hands and feet of Jesus. Love, grow, and be the hands and feet of Jesus. What does that mean? As the hands and feet of Jesus, we are to continue the work He began. We are to accomplish, seek to accomplish the mission He gave us. And His mission couldn't be any clearer. We call it, in church circles, the great commission. Look at it, Matthew chapter 28. Jesus told this to His disciples before He ascended into heaven, leaving behind this ragtag group of disciple followers, these who are left with their mouths hanging open, watching Him ascend into heaven. Here's His last words to them. Jesus says, Matthew 28, verse 18, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go make disciples. Go replicate yourselves. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all commands I have given you. And be sure of this. Here's the good news. The best part of the good news. Jesus says, I am with you always. You're not on your own. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Maybe you need the reminder this morning, you're not alone. You may feel alone. I don't know who you work with. I don't know who you go to school with. I don't know who's around you that... You haven't yet approached the subject of spiritual matters, that you haven't yet declared whose you are in a public way, that people around you know you as something other than a disciple of Jesus Christ. People don't know whose you are. Let me remind you, you're not alone in taking a stand for being a son or a daughter of the King. Jesus is with you. said a different way? God's business of finding that which is lost, of building upon that which is found is His plan A. It's His plan to restore His kingdom. To bring about, to save as many as possible in the time we've been given. We, we, We understand God's hand of mercy is still holding back His ultimate wrath upon sin, brokenness. And in this season, in this time we've been given, our job is to continue His business of finding that which is lost and building upon, discipling those who are found. We're God's plan A for bringing His hope into the world. We're God's plan A for restoring what's been lost. We're God's plan A for bringing light and life. We are God's plan A for bringing His kingdom here and now as it is in heaven as Jesus taught us to pray. We, as the church of Christ, are a part of the hope He has to restore this world. in my life there are a lot of people who say things better than i do a lot of preachers a lot of teachers a lot of books a lot of videos that i hear things and i'm like oh my goodness if i could just say what i heard him or her say everyone would get it this morning i'm gonna let someone else say it this video as we close is powerful it's by a a guy named terry or thomas terry aka odd thomas that's his rap name okay this is not a rap video, it's a spoken word video. Some of you already put your plugs in, take them back out. Terry Thomas, Thomas Terry, speaks this poetic reminder entitled, No Plan B. Would you give this your attention this morning?
1: If you fail to plan, then you plan to fail. You ever heard that statement? If you fail to plan, then you plan to fail? Well, this is a statement that's common among father-in-laws, Microsoft Excel users, Black Friday consumers, and baby boomers. And although this statement can be considered a creative killer, the truth is we're failing. We're failing because we're the byproduct of our culture. We live in a fast-food reality. This freelance, fly-by-the-seat-of-our-pants, I'll-get-to-it-when-I-get-a-chance mentality. We all do it. But I wonder if we realize that the lack of planning is simply a symptom of a greater issue among a greater system. It's a philosophic worldview that screams, I really don't care about you, or at least I care too much for my own plans to be considerative plans for you. It's sinful. And sometimes this seed of sin begins to manifest itself in Christian community. And as a result, we are failing in our plans of evangelism and discipleship opportunity. We don't assume responsibility because we assume other people will pick up the slack. We trust that these repeat-after-me type prayers are sufficient to get them on track. So it's no wonder that among professing Christians, pantheism and pluralism is so popular. And it starts to make sense now how postmodernism inside the church is even possible. And if you don't believe me, then I suggest you survey almost any church in any city on any given Sunday Ask them to define the gospel. Ask them to define faith. Ask them to define the chief end of mankind, or ask them, why is God so great? And you'll probably hear a little bit about hope, but mostly humanism. A little bit of mysticism mixed with a whole lot of moralism. Now, if that doesn't cause you concern, then you're probably still of the mindset that it has nothing to do with us. But listen. It has everything to do with us. Because we're not doing our jobs. We're not being obedient to God's call. We have assumed that the Great Commission is optional, and as a result, we have broken God's law. So how do we deal with this discipleship dilemma? Well, it starts with confession. A profession of our rebellious indiscretion and owning up to our sin of selfishness, repentance, and remembering redemption. Having an understanding that before time began, there was this unfolding of this inner Trinitarian plan. That God the Father had a plan for you. A plan that required the Son of Man to purchase you. This plan that started the moment the Holy Spirit imparted life to you. We call this plan, Plan A. What a miraculous A meticulous arrangement, that God would step beyond his boundaries to display the beauty of his blueprint. See, we gotta go back to plan A, but to get back to plan A necessitates a plan, or at least a sense of planning. And your commitment level to plan A, if committed rightly, will help you understand that by proxy, there cannot be plan B. Christ has charged all Christians to be a part of his cosmic composition. May God grant us forgiveness for our lack of interest and help us to faithfully fulfill without fail his great commission.
0: Will you stand with me? Thomas Terry a.k.a. Odd Thomas, said this. We have assumed that the Great Commission is optional, and as a result, we have broken God's law. It reminds us the severity of our reality. If we've forgotten what God's business, our Father's business is, and we lose sight, we're distracted every day, let's collectively confess our bent towards ourselves and humbly ask Him to forgive and to redirect our heads, Lord, we do confess. We confess the ways that we are prone to distraction. We're prone to minimizing the gift of grace in our life, of minimizing the the active call that you've placed in each of our hearts as found ones Lord I pray I pray here and now that you would use our collective efforts to join you on mission to find lost things to find lost ones and to build upon those who are found Lord may we be A body of disciples who make disciples would that become not just a cliche phrase used in church circles but would it be a a mandate would it be an earmark of the hyde wesleyan church lord i pray that you would instill in each of us a desire to share the good news that has radically changed us with those around us. Forgive us for getting over, getting beyond, pushing to the side our work of joining you in your work. Restore to us, Lord, a desire, a a burning, a fire inside of each of us to be about our Father's business. Thank you for the example of Jesus Thank you that in every way Jesus experienced the same that we experience in this life. And Lord, thank you for the example of Jesus who moved past the brokenness of humanity. Give us your strength to tackle whatever this day holds, whatever this week holds. We pray in Jesus' name. God's people said. Amen. Amen. God bless you.